several different ways. One of you, some of you go like, oh, he's going to be story from the Bible. That'll be great. Others of you go, why is he reading from the Bible? I really don't get the whole thing. That's okay. If you came in here today and reading from the Bible means sort of nothing to you or it's rather totally indifferent, uh, I understand that's how I was for a long period of time. And one of the things that happened for me is well before I believed the Bible was true, which I, I, do, I do now, I, I started reading it. And I, I read through the, the Gospels, and I won't go into all why, but I did. I read through the Gospels, and I was totally captivated by Jesus and some of the stories he told and remain um, a huge fan of, of, of the way Jesus told stories. They're very powerful. And one of the things you'll see in this story, no matter what you think of the Bible, is that Jesus does this amazing job of sort of honing in and clarifying a question and then sort of opening his hands and going, ball's in your court. What are you going to do with it? Here's the story. <clears throat> On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, an expert in the law, you have to understand that means an expert in the, in the biblical law, not like in, you know, torts and bankruptcy. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, again, you know, back to your court, uh, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? You, you tell me. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus looks at him and said, okay, you already knew the answer. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. Now, this is problematic for the person who asked them. He's sort of caught off guard and says he thinks he's going to catch Jesus up short. And when he asks him the question, Jesus says, you tell me. And, Jesus, and he knows the answer. And it's all, I think it sort of comes out unbidden. You know, he doesn't, you know, love the Lord God, whole heart, shall take the mind. You love your neighbors yourself. And as soon as he finishes, he realizes this is a problem. Because then Jesus says, very good, go do it. And now he's got real questions because he's looking to love my neighbor as myself. I mean, how much? How many neighbors? How often? I mean, really, this is not that helpful. How do I? This could this could be an unstreaming, unrelenting mountain of need and love. And so we don't like life without boundaries. We want some parameters. Okay, love my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Seriously, because you can't mean I'm supposed to care about whoever. You that, that obviously can't be the case. And so he throws out the question. He goes, okay, who's my neighbor? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, clearly, you've just given me this sort of, you know, wacko answer that this is how I'm supposed to live. So who's my neighbor? Let's narrow this down a bit, shall we? So Jesus tells him a story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, and he, Jesus chooses the names, the types of people real carefully. <laughs> A priest, paid religious person, uh, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, another paid religious person, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and read that as people who the priest and the Levite hate and think is despicable, really. A Samaritan, as he traveled, so the people, the guy he's doing this is already angry. And, and then he says, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after me, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go, do likewise. Again, ball's back in your court. Now, in my opinion, the expert in the law is more frustrated now because now he really doesn't have an answer. He was trying to get this narrowed down. He was trying to get this a little more focused. What's this supposed to look like in my life? And Jesus tells him a story about, okay, there's a guy bleeding. Take care of him. Uh, What does it mean to love your neighbor? It means you care about people who are in front of you, who are around you, who have needs. It's really easy to look at this story and to sort of make fun of the priest and the Levite. And we look at that and we go, really? What a bunch of jerks. Somebody's bleeding by the side of the road and they go around the other side? And so it's left to some Samaritan to go take care of him? I would never do that. Let me maybe bring the story forward a little bit. There's needs across the road today. But hey, I'm late. I got to get to church. I'm driving by and I see somebody broken down. But people are waiting for me. I've got to go deliver a message about loving my neighbor. Seriously, I can't take care of that. Somebody else will take care of that, right? The businesswoman sees a beggar by the side of the road, but got a conference call. What am I going to do? Life doesn't go neatly into boxes. And yet we really wish it did. Because loving our neighbor, wherever it's found, that's really difficult. And quite honestly, what we want is we want a formula. What does it mean to love my neighbor? I mean, how, how much do I have to do? Seriously, I'm willing. How much, how much do I have to give? Just give me the amount. And I'll see if I can pull that off. How much do I have to serve? Are, are, you know, are there committees to be on? Um, how often do I have to help someone who's homeless? I mean, obviously I can't do everything, but just give me, give me a number. And let me work on it. For us, generosity often fits in some box that we've created. And some of those boxes are bigger than others, but they still fit into this box of how much should I do? And what Jesus presents is a picture of life with unbounded generosity. There's no edges. Really, it's a terribly frustrating story. There's no parameters. Think about it. He takes the guy, picks him up, cleans him up, He's bloody, which means I'm pl- probably bloody now, right? Takes him, puts him on his donkey, so now my donkey's bloody. Brings him to an inn, takes out two silver coins, says, take care of him. Then he leaves and says, I'll be back. And when I come back, I'll settle up, do whatever he needs. Now, he didn't say, look, I'm going to be gone for about a week. 50 bucks a day. I'm in. I don't even know this guy. But 50 bucks a day I'll do to take care of him. No, no, 100 bucks a day. 
do whatever he needs up to 100 bucks a day. Beyond that, obviously I can't do it. He walks away with this crazy notion and says, do whatever he needs, and when I come back, I'll settle up. There are no boundaries. And so Jesus, when he talks about loving our neighbor, presents a picture of unbounded generosity. Well, there's lots of questions now. One of those is why, and then the other would be how. Let's think about why. Let me be direct. Most of you are not satisfied. Now, the truth is, if I was to say that to you one-on-one, you could likely argue with me, as I would argue with you if you said that to me. But in a room like this, you don't have to argue with me. You can simply let that sit, and I ask you the question, how satisfied are you? How much does your life fit into a place where you would say, I live day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month with a deep level of satisfaction and contentment in my life, whether I have plenty or whether I have want? There was a, a line in the movie, one of the movies we did in the movie series last summer. Movie series comes up in about eight weeks this summer. Movie series last summer, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, where the one woman yelled at the other, chronic dissatisfaction. She lives with chronic dissatisfaction. And I'll tell you, that phrase just, just, just uh, struck me, and this is why. I live with, like probably many of you, I live with chronic pain. You know, like Kurt has chronic pain in his foot. And if you've ever had pain in your foot, you understand this is no small thing because you use your feet a lot, like to walk. <laughs> chronic pain. I've got chronic pain of a couple of different kinds. And I no longer believe it's going to go away. Understand that? It's chronic. I no longer believe it's going to go away. And so what am I looking for? I'm looking for a respite. Hour? That'd be great. A day? A week? would be stunning. I mean, really, that would be sublime if I could have a week of release from the chronic pain. I'll take an hour, 30 minutes. I no longer expect the pain to be gone. It's chronic. And so what I'm trying to do is, with doctors and with exercise and whatever, is mitigate the pain as much as possible, believing it'll always be there, and I'm just trying to get through it. Quite honestly, I think that's how we live our lives in terms of satisfaction. We can't even get in our heads a picture of a satisfied life. And what we're trying to do is some for an hour, for a day, for a week, for a month, can I get some satisfaction? What will do it? If I try that, maybe that'll give me a little bit. And so all we're doing is we're taking this hole of chronic dissatisfaction and trying to fill it in. Incremental changes do not have radical results. We're making incremental changes in our satisfaction. They will never have radical results. We continue to believe... The crazy notion, crazy in that it never changes, and we keep trying it. We continue to believe the crazy notion that I can buy satisfaction, regardless of the fact that it's never happened, regardless of the fact that nothing we've ever done, we've ever bought, has erased chronic dissatisfaction. The best it's done sometimes is it gives us a week. And somehow we continue to believe that satisfaction can be bought. This is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take that notion, chronic dissatisfaction, and trying to incrementally change it. And I'd like you to ball that up and throw it away. Because as astounding as it may sound, 
God desires you to have a life of deep satisfaction and peace. And he says the pathway to it is generosity. A life of living with unbounded generosity. That's actually where satisfaction is found. Now, why does that work? There's a phrase in the Old Testament we like to use. It's called the Siddiq. The Siddiq is the Hebrew word for the righteous. And the righteous in the Bible is the one who gives his life away expecting nothing in return. She lives freely and open-handedly with the world around her, not looking for anything back. And the Bible says it is this person, not the person with great wealth or little person, this person, at whatever wealth they're at, is the one who attains satisfaction and peace in their life. Why? Because that's how you were wired. That's actually how you were made. You were made to live connected with the world around you. And quite honestly, you were made to sow beauty into the world. You were made to live in such a way that what you touch produces joy and produces beauty. And so, some of you have known those moments when what you have sown into somebody else's life has seen change. When the unbounded generosity that you gave produced a result of hope and of joy that was stunning. You know, I, I, I've had people help me with different things throughout my life. I'll never forget some years back when I was in a jam and I, had a, and I, I was worried about the outcome of what I had done and I had a friend who looked at me and said, that won't happen. And I said, well, why not? He said, I won't let it. He didn't say, I'll help you as much as I can. He said, I'm in the corner with you. If it's within my power, I will not let this happen. Now, he didn't have to do what he promised. But I knew he would. I I, I cannot tell you what that did to me. I cannot tell you what it did to my soul to have somebody look me in the eyes and say, I am with you and I am for you without bounds. That's how beauty gets raised in people's soul. Not by incremental change, by unbounded generosity. By people going all in alongside of somebody else. When it comes to giving, I am going to discuss slash challenge several uh, long-held notions. And, and when I challenge them, I'm not going to completely dismiss them, but I want you to think about them in different ways. Okay, one of them is this. You have probably, if you've been in a church at any length of time, you'll have heard this teaching, that everything you have is um, derivative. It's from somewhere else. There's nothing you have that you, that you earned. It was all a gift. And, and some of you say, no, 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 no. I worked hard for everything I got for my success, for my status, and for my money. Well, really, even if you don't believe in God, you must realize, of course, that you were given a certain package of resources. Number one was you were born here. Number two, you were given a level of intelligence or determination or strength or courage. No matter what your beginning belief set is, we realize that 
really, it's all a gift to us. And in that light, often what we are taught is that, okay, God gave you everything, and so you ought to share it. It's like kindergarten. Sharing's nice. You ought to share because it's not really yours anyway. Now, there's a level of truth to that. I just told you, I think that's true. However, the notion it takes us to, in my opinion, is not that helpful. And the illustration is often given as like this. I give my child 10 pieces of candy, and then his friend comes up and asks him for a piece, and my child says, no. I've got 10 pieces, I want every one. And then I appeal, I use reason with a five-year-old. And I say, look, little Johnny, I gave you all, nothing that you have has not been given. It has been given to you. You did not earn it or deserve it. It's a free gift. And so, don't you want to share some of that with your friend? No, got 10 pieces, I want them. Little Johnny, don't you want to share with your friend? You ought to. It's the right thing to do. Or else I'll take them away. Okay. Good. Now you've learned the lesson of sharing. Or coercion. One, one of the two. Fine line. There's not a fine line between generosity and coercion. There's not a fine line between generosity and guilt. You may hear that you ought to, you should give money. That will not serve you well. There are many things in life that we should do, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do them. We actually should do them. You will have less chaos in your life if you do certain things. Like if you don't pay your electrical bill, you should pay your electrical bill. Because if you don't, you won't have power. I mean, it's just sort of, there's certain things, yes, you should do. However, that does not produce a life of beauty. What you should do only makes you feel guilty and grudgingly open your hands. Okay, I should I should be generous because nothing I have wasn't a gift, and so... But that's all. It will never make you free. It's bounded. The life of freedom is found in unbounded generosity. It doesn't mean you give everything away. It means I live open-handed before the world and I see, I long for places where I can wade in. Okay, second notion. Uh, there's, a, there's a notion, and, and it's, it's really in the Bible, that says there's something called the tithe, which is 10%. And I'm not going to go into all these statistics people do about how much it really was in the Old Testament. It doesn't matter. A tithe means a tenth. And so you, if you've been in the church, particularly in the South, you've heard the notion of a tithe, just 10%. In California, we call it the, the uh, 1% tithe because everything was lighter there. Anyway, but here in the South, 10% is what you give. And some of you have heard that and you think, 10%, that's sort of like the love your neighbor thing. You can't be serious. I make $70,000 a year. My wife and I make $70,000 a year together. So yeah, I can do math. You only got to eliminate zeros with the 10. You're saying $7,000 a year? Are you serious? Do you know what I could do with $7,000 a year? If I invested that in a retirement account for 35 years, it would end up being over a million dollars. So seriously, let me get this straight. You can't be saying that to me. Others of you hear the 10% and you go, well, of course, 
I've lived that way since I was seven years old. I will continue to live that way. It's simply a part of what my life is. 10% is a lot. Seriously. But I don't want you to get stuck in that notion. Because the point is not, am I giving a certain... Have I found my boundary of giving? The point is unbounded generosity. Here's the thing. You can give 22% of your money and do it in a way that doesn't do anything for your soul because you're pissed about it. And you're doing it because, well, you ought to, because you make a lot of money, and so I'll give 22%. And, and with every check you write, you go, yeah, that's a, I'm doing a good thing here in the world. And, and you can be struggling with your finances, and for the first time cracking it open and giving something that, I, I don't know, is far smaller than 10%, but you've never done it before. And you do it because even though you're short of cash, you see an actual need and you say, I'm, I'm in. It's about the heart. It's about unbounded generosity. It's about generosity that doesn't know parameters and regulations. It knows the joy of sowing beauty into the world. For example, the Bible story is the story essentially of this, of God deciding to redeem humanity, men and women, to call people back to himself. And it required the death of, of Jesus to do so, to die for our sins. And I, the question, here, here's what Jesus did. You know, he, so he was, he was in heaven, which you know, I'm thinking is really, it's really nice. You know, it's a good place. Things are going well. And, and he's going to leave. And he's going to come to earth. And he's going to live really at a time that I would not have chosen. There's, there's no, not only is there not large screen TVs, there's not even TVs. There's not movies. There's not restaurants. There's not cars. I'm walking everywhere. It's dusty. It's backward. He's going to do that. He's going to live 33 years on earth. The last three years, he's going to experience an incredible amount of controversy and angst because adversaries would rise on every corner as he sought to help people and heal people and teach. And then, to top it all off, he's going to end up in a cross and he's going to have people taunting him and then he's going to, have, he's going to be killed. Okay, so that's the picture. That's what he did. And so here's Jesus. You know, it's before that. And he goes, okay, I'll do it. I ought to. You know what? It's the right thing to do. I ought to love these people. I should do it. I can do it. It'll help. Okay, I'll do it. Do you know why Jesus came to earth and died? It actually says it in the Bible. This is what it says. He says he did it for the joy set before him. He did it because he wanted to. He did it because he looked out at you and me and he said, Can I go? Can I go redeem them? I, I know the cost. I'm not, I'm not really trying to think about that. But if, that, if that's what's necessary, I, I, I can't let this happen. I can't let them remain their lives separated from me. I can't let them live these bound lives. They need to be free. I'm in. I'll do it. Yeah, because uh, I want to. For the joy set before him. Love that is not driven out of joy, out of the soul desire, quite honestly falls very short. Let me, I mean, seriously, try this in your marriage. If you're married or dating, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try really to love my wife this week. You know why? I should. I really ought to. It would be the right thing to do. Actually, even the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me husbands love your wives. Okay. You know, I'm really busy and um, heart's not really into it, but I'm going to do that. Now, now try saying that to your wife. I'm going to love you because I ought to. We, we do this crazy compartmentalization thing. What would have ever made us think that that creates beauty? Yes, sometimes you should do things, but the shoulds will kill you. If you live your life based on what you should do, you'll do a lot of the right things and experience very little satisfaction and see very little heart change in you or others. Heart change happens when you look at your, your partner and your friend who needs something and you, without bounds life into them. When there are not regulations and restrictions and parameters, you see the need and you pour your life into them. Unbounded generosity for the one that you love. You will live a profoundly free life when you look at the world around you and you long for the opportunity to sow beauty into others around you without bounds. You look at the opportunity, you look at the need before you and say, can I do this? Can I reach in here? So that beauty emerges, so that joy emerges. There's this crazy passage, really, it even shocks the writer of the Bible in, in, in a book called Second Corinthians, where it's this group of people, and it says, out of their extreme poverty and desire for joy, they pleaded with us to be able to give money to other people. They pleaded for the opportunity to give their money away. And then what Paul says is, we didn't expect this. Seriously, it's right there in the Bible. We didn't expect this. They acted in such an uncommon way. It is common to calculate our generosity. It is uncommon to beg for the opportunity to breed joy and beauty into other people's lives. Christianity is not the story of bad people becoming good. It's the story of bound people becoming free. God wants you to be free. He wants you then to see your money, your time in a completely different way. Not giving away because you ought. Not giving away because it all came from somewhere else. But looking out at the world with a heartfelt desire to live as Jesus did. To sow with generosity. To long for and to feel joy over what you see happen in other people's lives. That's when you become free. Some of you... I know this is a struggle. You read the story of the Good Samaritan, I wonder. I wonder if the way that life has gone to this point, you're walking to the, by the Good Samaritan and you look at it and you take him to the innkeeper and you cannot say, you cannot say, do whatever he takes and I'll settle up because you know you don't have it. There's two things that have to happen for us to live free. One of them is a heart change. The other is, we have to do certain things well with our finances. See, some of you know the pain of longing to help somebody and realizing you couldn't. Literally. It's why in the midst of teaching this series about living in an uncommon way, living from the heart, that we're also talking about the Dave Ramsey class. 
Because if some of you come to this place and you say, I want to live a life of freedom. I want to live a life of unbounded generosity that's not bounded by parameters or regulations, but that can lead into the world around me. And yet I know that my finances are not even in a place where I can do that. It's why Dave Ramsey makes so much sense. Because what he's going to help you to do is to no longer have your money master you, but have it become your servant. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for freedom. We pray for heart and life change. We pray that somehow our hearts would move from a place of feeling like we ought to do certain things to having this deep desire to sow beauty and joy into people's lives around us. Would you allow the deep teaching of the love of Christ for us to ring clear in our souls and so that we long to live like he did, not because we have to, because we want to. Would you show us that as we seek to live lives of unbounded generosity, you promise to be our God, our Lord, and our Savior, and the one who always loves our soul. Would you teach us today the path of freedom? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is always about freedom.